This sermon is titled Nurturing Healthy Relationships The Christian Home Part 2 Be enriched as you listen This month of November we've been talking about or we are talking about the Christian home Last Sunday was our first message in this series we just spent time looking at God's promises just just reading scripture essentially and looking at the promises of God and, and uh, I just want to encourage you to keep listening keep listening to the word we, we need it throughout just to keep our faith alive keep our faith strong and and uh, believe God's word speak God's word and pray God's word let's say it together believe God's word you speak God's word and you pray God's word continue doing that don't give up so go back listen keep listening to those promises today we want to talk about nurturing healthy relationships how do we nurture healthy relationships now we are speaking from the context of the home and the family and and i understand as we mentioned last sunday that there are people in different seasons of life who are going through different life situations and we want to be respectful of that so for some the very talk about home and family uh, marriage could be very painful simply because they've gone through or probably they are going through something very uh, challenging in their life situation and so we respect that we are not here to uh, hurt you or do anything intentionally we understand that there just could be a point of pain for some of us but what i want to encourage you to do this morning is to be open to god and receive his word because god is faithful to his word teach of us right receive it however it's going to apply because we we've all gone through or going through different seasons in life and so we want to be respectful and mindful about that and also maybe you know we we are presenting this in the context of the home and the family but in case you say well you know i cannot connect with that i cannot you know i don't have the opportunity to apply that take these principles and like we said they apply across the board so you could put it in a practice in some other context maybe in your place of work or maybe part of the community of friends you are these these are biblical principles so they will apply anywhere everywhere is that okay so we are speaking in the context of the home but if you cannot apply that in that situation maybe because of where you are in life take it apply it in any other situation in your immediate context now one of the things that we want to impress at the very beginning is that in family and in in relationships we need to understand our different worlds especially in the context of a home you can have several generations of people that you need to relate to maybe there are grandparents there are parents and your spouse children sometimes grandchildren there could be possibly four generations and sociologists those who study ge- these generations have broken this generally speaking they've broken this down into you know periods of 15 years so every 15 years there is what they categorize as a new generation a generation that's growing up in a world that is very different from the previous and so when we relate across generations we need to be mindful that we are actually relating to somebody who's 
in a different generation. They've grown up in a, or they've grown, they're growing up or they've grown up in a different world than ours. The mistake we make is, well, this is the way I did it, so you also got to do it that way. Well, what we did may not apply in their generation, in their context. So sometimes when we try to force our ideas on a generation that's grown up in a very different world than ours, those things don't apply. And we get upset, break, you know, causes conflict. And we're wondering what's going wrong. Well, we haven't understood that there's a, they're, they're, they've, they've grown up in a different world, in a different generation. Biblical principles are transferable, but cultural experiences are not necessarily transferable. Or the things that we've done in our own worlds, in our own environments, those are not necessarily transferable. So we need to think about that. And so just as a way of helping us understand this, you know, we quickly look at a few things, a few interesting things. And I'm going to spend too much time. But, you know, generally there are the builders who were born between 1925 and 1945. There are the baby boomers who were born in 1946 to 1964. Just find out where you are. <laughs> In this chart, the Gen X, 1965 to 1979, the Gen Y, 1980 to 1994, uh, the Gen Z, 1995 to 2000, the Gen Alpha, 2010 to 2024. And I'm guessing that we have all six generations in our congregation. We've got people from all of these generations, you know, uh, sitting here. Uh, and I, of course, the teen 18s are out in their own uh, place. But... Um, so we've got this, and we've got to relate to people across generations. And we can identify several things that are very specific or which are very distinct to these generations. Example, the slang that we use. You know, the builders, like, like I, I feel like I'm a builder. You speak to me in proper English, please. And I tell all our you know, church staff, you know, you've got to write proper English. No, <laughs> I don't like slang. No, no, <laughs> you've got to write proper. But, you know, there are those who... Each generation has their own slang. I know sometimes when you talk, we're interacting with our daughter, and she sends us a message. We ask, please, interpretation. <laughs> what are you saying? You know, and she has to say, that means this. You know, we can understand. Only then we can understand what she's saying. So it's, it's, they have their own slang. They have their own keywords you know, that, that they communicate with. And so we need to understand all of this. Then think about the cars. And I've just contextualized some of this. You know, growing up here, in India, you know, the builders, they've probably only seen those vintage cars. That we, you know, we, we look at them as vintage cars. And then the baby boomers, they grew up with Premier Padmini. How many of you remember Premier Padmini? <laughs> that was the only car you would see around. And then there was the great ambassador. <laughs> if you had an ambassador, man, that was big, you know. And I, I still feel the ambassador was best suited for Indian roads. You know, it's like, man, that's a rugged piece of metal that goes on the roads. Uh, there was the ambassador. And then, you know, the Gen Ys started seeing these imported cars. The Honda and the uh, Toyotas coming on the road. Uh, that's the Gen Y. And the Gen Z, uh, they're talking about electric vehicles. So that's the thing for them. You know, these green sign, green number plates, electric vehicles. And uh, uh, the Gen Alpha, uh, we don't see it here in India, but some parts of the world, they have the autonomous vehicles. You sit in there and have a lot of faith. <laughs> the car will take you. <laughs> it will just navigate and take you. Now, I think that will never work in India. <laughs> uh, it's just too complicated to program for Indian roads. You know, you still need 
the good old mind, you know, to drive in India. <laughs> These autonomous vehicles won't work. But you can just see how things have changed. Every 15 years, they're growing up in a different world. Think about music devices. You know, some of us remember these vinyl records. You know, how many of you have seen a vinyl record? You know, <laughs> you've seen one. Some people have never seen They don't know what it is, you know. There's vinyl records that you have. Um, then we had the cassette tapes. And then you had the Walkman. It was real cool to have a Walkman and a wire going into your pocket and something stuck on your side. And then from there, we've gone to the iPods, the wireless devices. And then Gen Z, they got used to Spotify on the phones. And, and now you've got smart speakers. Alexa, play me this. Yes, I will. <laughs> and the music comes. You talk to the speaker and the speaker sings for you. you know, it's magical almost, sitting in your room. And then... They recommend, can I play this for you? This is the next song coming up. They know your preferences, they know your taste, and uh, you've got music now on a whole different uh, plane. Think about leadership styles, you know, and this is again general, general information that sociologists identify. The builders, their leadership style was more controlling. Baby boomers was more of directing. Gen X, um, coordinating. Gen Y, more of guiding. Gen Z, more of empowering. Gen Alpha, more of inspiring. So the leadership styles changed over generations. And also, the kind of leadership that attracts people. You talk about the ideal leader across generations. The builders, uh, the ideal leader was a commander. He would command and people would just do what he said. The baby boomers, for them, they, they like the thinkers. The Gen X, the doers. The Gen Y, the supporters, the Gen Z, the collaborators, and then Gen Alpha, the co-creators. That's the kind of leadership that draws people across generations. So things have changed. Think about the learning styles across generations. Um, the builders, it's very formal. Baby boomers were more structured. Gen X, more participative. Gen Y, interactive. Gen Z, multimodal, you've got all of that, all different ways through which you, mediums through which you learn, and the Gen Alpha, it's virtual. They're comfortable just learning things up online. In fact, you know, coming, almost coming to a place where the degree itself doesn't mean anything. It's the skills you have. How you acquire those skills doesn't necessarily have to come through a degree. It's, you've got the skills, you, you, you're valuable. The... Uh, think about where people go for influence and advice. In the builders, they would talk to the officials. The baby boomers would talk to the experts. The Gen X would talk to the practitioners. The Gen Y would talk to their peers. The Gen Z would go online and all these forums, you know. And Gen Alpha, they talk to Chat GPT. <laughs> it's like, AI, please tell me. <laughs> and of course, you've got influencers on TikTok and other places that, uh, that spread ideas. And, and like this, we can think of many other things. I just thought of two more after I sent the info, info to the media team so they don't come up on this, so this won't come up on the screens. But when you think about entertainment, you know, the builders, they had to go look at dramas and cultural events, baby boomers. They had the radio in addition to those dramas. And uh, Gen X, we had TV and we had Doordarshan. Only one channel, black and white. <laughs> and here's Lucy, came once a week. That's it, you know. That was the entertainment we had in those days. And then, of course, things changed. Gen Y, they had your color TV, you had the VHS videotapes, and slowly Gen Z, we had the DVDs, the online 
uh, YouTube and other things that came on. And now here we are, Gen Alpha, you have streaming, on-demand entertainment. You subscribe and you can watch whatever you want. Uh, think about career options. You know, back in the times of the builders, education itself was a premium. It was a privilege. Baby boomers, education became more uh, available. Gen Z, they were traditional disciplines. You know, you do these things, mechanical, civil engineering, you, that's it, you, have, you know, just had a few choices. Gen Y, we began to see new streams coming in, electronics and computer science and so on. Gen Z, you had more options and you can blend some of these things. Gen Alpha, it's a buffet. Serve yourself. <laughs> Pick your plate, take what you want, make it yourself. That's career options today. There is nothing set in stone. Now you define what you want to do, you pick the courses, you, you make your worlds. What a, what a change, right? So, the point is, and, and things have changed even in church. And I remember when we started APC, we had this, some people have never seen this. We had an overage projector and we had to put a piece of vinyl plastic on top to project on the screen. You know, we didn't grow up with LED panels, you know. This came years later, I mean now. But those were days we had to do that, and we had to prepare, print out those things every week, you know, and put it on, and projector come, and, and people complain, I can't see, and all those things happen. But, and then came, you know, the projectors through laptops, and now here we are with LED screens and things. So, so much has changed, even the worship, the way we worship, how we worship. Things have changed, you know, almost every 15 years, new things are happening. But the point is this, when we are relating to people, we need to keep in mind that we are relating across generations. If you're relating to your parents or your grandparents, or if parents, you're relating to your children or your grandchildren, just wherever you are, in whatever stage of life you're in, be mindful that the world in which they grew up or are growing up is very different from the world in which you grew up. So we need to make that extra effort to understand their context, understand their worlds, and relate around that. That's the point. So, and this is true even in the workplace and so on, and there's a lot of studies on that. But what we want to do this morning is look at four biblical principles that we can apply in nurturing healthy relationships in our homes, in our families across generations for biblical principles. And then we'll talk about some action points. What can we do? What are you ready to do? So here's some simple biblical principles. Number one, show unconditional, sacrificial, yet tough love. Love is the undergirding of all human relationships. We understand that the Bible teaches us that. So we've got to move in love. Even as we relate to people across generations, move in love. And this love has to be sacrificial. God's love is sacrificial. But yet, there is discipline. It's not saying, I love you, just go do what you want. There is discipline. We'll just look at some passages. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, describe this love. The love that you and I are called to walk in. And we are talking specifically in the context of the home, the family, uh, relationships within the home. Love suffers long. That is, it's patient. It's kind. Love does not envy. It's not jealous. It's not, love does not parade itself. It's not 
proud. It, it is, is, is not puffed up. It's not boastful. Verse 5, does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. It's not selfish or self-centered. It is not provoked. That is, it's not irritable. It doesn't get angry. We all do get irritated, but we don't operate out of that place of irritation. You learn to let love override or supersede your irritation. Thinks no evil. Its intent, its intention is not evil. It's not trying to execute evil. Verse 6, it does not rejoice in sin, but rejoices in the truth. So yes, we love, but we don't compromise truth. We don't compromise integrity and purity. Number 7, love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. So love is strong through the ups and downs. It believes in the best that is in every person, believes all things. Yeah, we all have our flaws, but look at the good. It hopes all things that even in desperate situations, we believe that God can do something good. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Through all things, love remains strong. And so this kind of love will never fail. It will prevail. It will cause us to triumph. Amen? And this is the kind of love that we are supposed to walk in, even in our family relationships. The people that we relate to, your parents, or your parents relating to children, children relating to your parents, so on, in our families. This is the kind of love that we are supposed to walk in. But the same love has discipline. The God kind of love has discipline. We look at one passage, Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 6 and 7. Look at what it says. Let's read it out together, please. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? So look at verse 6. Whom the Lord loves, he Chasten. Now these are old English words. Chasten means to discipline. Scourges doesn't mean to beat with a whip. It means to, you know, you, you're bringing about correction. So, translation, right? So whom God loves, He disciplines and He corrects. So there is discipline. There is correction in this love. So as we love people, as we are, are engaging in love, we need to speak the truth. We need to bring about correction. We need to bring about that discipline. And we're doing it in love. We're doing it motivated by love. So think about how we're going to apply this in your life situation, in the season of life that you're in. There is love, which is unconditional, sacrificial, but it must be tough. There must be discipline. Number two, demonstrate honor. That is respect. A biblical principle. Now, let's look at some scriptures and we'll make some comments. Ephesians 5, verse 21, talking about the spiritual life, the Apostle Paul teaches us. He says, as part of the spiritual life, what must we do? Submit to one another in the fear of God. Submit to one another. We all submit to one another out of reverence for God. So I respect honor, I have reverence for God, so that causes me to respect honor every person, and I walk in submission to the people around me. Now, generally we think, young people, you submit. I'm your dad, listen to me. <laughs> you know? 
It's true in some cases, but it doesn't always have to be. As parents, we must be willing to submit to our kids. All the kids say, yes, tell it. Because there will be situations where they know better than us. So what do you mean? I've eaten more salt than you've eaten rice. What do you mean there are situations where my children know better than me? Yeah. In things that, are, that, that represent their worlds. Because you didn't grow up in their worlds. There are situations where they know they are more in touch with their reality. We are coming from a different realm, a different world. We are not touched necessarily in their reality. And some of the things that they are going through, they know better than us. And that's where we've got to be willing to listen. We've got to be willing. And that takes humility. That's where we submit to one another. Yes, what you're saying is right. Would a parent ever tell a son or daughter, what you're saying, a young adult, what you're saying is right. But that takes humility to do. And the Bible says we submit to one another out of reverence for God. Peter teaches us this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 to 6. He says, let's read it together, please. Likewise, <clears throat> you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due. Notice he says, younger people, submit yourselves to the elders, and he doesn't stop there. He says, all of you be submitted to one another. That means we are Walking in a, we are living in a place of humility where I'm willing to listen to somebody who's younger tell me something that I need to learn and I'm willing to go with it. We are willing to go with the idea or with what's best for the situation, whether it comes from somebody who's younger. Are you listening? Some of you don't want to listen. Not, this is not for me, Pastor. <laughs> no, no. All of you be submitted to one another. That means you're respecting. You're respecting each other. You're treating each other with respect. And the Bible says God gives us the grace to do it. And when we walk in humility, there's grace. God resists the property, gives grace to the humble. So think about how you would apply this in your family context, in other relationships as well. Demonstrating honor and respect for people. Number three. Extend forgiveness. We all make mistakes. There's nobody who's perfect, not even the pastor. Nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes. But that's why there is forgiveness. That we can give and receive forgiveness. And we need to practice this. It's a biblical thing. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Paul writes here for us. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let's read it, please. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So apply this to your relationships. It says, get rid of anger, get rid of wrath, 
Get rid of bitterness. Get rid of evil speaking. Don't let it be a part of your relationships. Get it up. But he says, be kind. Be compassionate. Be forgiving. Even as God has forgiven you. God forgave me. So I need to forgive. How much he has forgiven me. I need to forgive. Now forgiveness does not necessarily mean it will change the other person. The other person's action, reaction, that's left to them. But my heart is my responsibility. I'm not responsible for the other person's heart. Only God can do that. I'll leave that. But my heart should be free from anger and, and, and bitterness and, 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 and evil speaking. I've got to keep my side clean. That's something I can do. So forgive. There'll be small things that happen. Forgive. Let it go. Sometimes serious things happen. Those are painful, not easy, can cause deep pain, but God can bring us to a place of forgiveness and say, God, I forgive, I let go, because you have forgiven me through Jesus Christ. So that same forgiveness we extend. That's a biblical principle. We need to practice that. And last one, number four. Is be redemptive. God is a redemptive God. He's the great redeemer. What does it mean to redeem? It means, although right now the situation may be a mess, the way God sees it is, and the, the way God looks at it, God's perspective, God's attitude, God's action is always redemptive. He's seeing how he can bring us out from where we are to where we should be. That's the redemptive heart of God. In every situation, God views things in a redemptive way. His heart is redemptive. His actions are redemptive. So you and I must practice that. If your children fail exams, be redemptive. Don't say, ah, this is the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. Be redemptive. Look at it. How can I bring this person to a place where they need to be. Your attitude must be redemptive. I know God can do good things. Your actions must be redemptive. Do what it takes to bring them to where they should be. Because God's a redemptive God. Are you listening? Be redemptive. I think a classic illustration is that of the prodigal son. Yes, we know he ran away, took all the, you know, his portion of wealth and inheritance, and he went and squandered it and wasted it. And, and, and you know, you can imagine what the father was doing. He was helpless, meaning I'm sure at that time he wanted to do something that he couldn't do. The son had gone somewhere, wasting the money. But his heart was there. His heart, heart was always redemptive. And, you know, he comes standing at the, the, the door of the house, hoping the son would come back. That the, the, the redemptive heart expressed. But he couldn't do anything. Because the son had gone. But one day the son came back. What do you see? Come, I need to teach you. <laughs> come and finally you've come back. Sit on here. <laughs> I need to teach you how to handle money. And let me straighten you out. No, no, no. What do we see? First, we see redemption. The father runs, hugs him, 
welcome back home. Redemption demonstrated for us. I know you made a mess, but my thought towards you is how to take you to where you should be. Redemption. My son's come home. Let's put him the best cloth and have a feast and let's celebrate the fact he's come home. We don't know what happened after that. Maybe he sat him down and said, okay, now let's talk about the future. But redemption first. Redemption first. I want you to know that you can go to the place where you should go. And I'm here to help you do that. I'm here to love you. I'm here to help you get there. Redemption first. Then you work out the practical things. And you know, how do you do that? We'll work it out. That's left to our imagination. It's not in the story. But probably he did have a conversation. He said, okay, you know, what's past is past, but don't make that mistake again. Don't go live like that again. Let's see how we can make this better. But the first was redemption. So fourth principles, biblical principles that we can apply in all our relationships within the family. Let's review them. Number one, there's got to be unconditional sacrificial love with discipline. Number two, there's got to be honor or respect. Number three, there's got to be forgiveness. We extend forgiveness. Number four, we have to be redemptive. Are you with me so far? Now, I want to share with you application, action points. How do you apply this? How do you put this into action? Number one, so the five action points will be go through very quickly. Don't worry. Number one, what matters to them must matter to you. What matters to them must matter to you. And they need to know that. For you to be able to have connection, for you to be able to build that relationship, they need to know that you are really genuinely interested in what interests them. Most of us are only dictatorial. I'll tell you what to do, you go do it. I don't care if you like it or not. Well, for them to even respond to what you're saying, they need to know that you're really interested in what matters to them. So parents, find out what matters to your children. What matters to them? If you have two kids, it could be very different. What one likes, the other person, they may have other interests. But get involved in their interests. Get interested in what interests them. Study it, understand it, talk to them at their level. Rather than just saying, I'll tell you what to do, you go do it. That might work in some situations, it won't work in other situations. But you get involved in their lives. You, what matters to them must matter to you. I'll just give you some scriptures here. Romans 12, verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. Give preference to the other person. You know, when you go to a restaurant, you're sitting down, you have a meal, say, what do you like? I mean, you know in your mind what you like. But you want to know what they like. You give preference. What do you like? You order. Giving preference. Same thing in human relationships at home. What do you like? What, are, what does interest you? Get in, interested in those things. Philippians 2 verse 4. Let's read it, please. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. 
What interests them? And Amy and I, we sit and talk to our daughter. She's far away, but now she's doing research in genetics. And she talks. She's so excited about what she's doing. And she talks to us. And we listen. Not that we understand everything she says. <laughs> but we listen. And then we ask the right questions. To show that, look, we are interested in what you're doing. You know, and, and, and she's doing all her research. Uh, she's accomplished a lot at a young age. She's so proud of it. We listen. We are interested. What are you doing? We don't understand everything. But what interests them, you've got to be interested. Pay attention. Ask questions. Read up something if you don't understand <laughs> I better understand what she's saying. I, I, sometimes I look up. Okay, this is what she's talking about. Yeah, these are the tools for her research. Yeah. Because why? I need to show. I need to understand genuinely so I can ask the right questions. I can have a right conversation. I can show interest in what she's doing. But you've got to make an effort. What interests them, you've got to make an effort to spend time there. Sometimes parents, you know, we are so disconnected from what's happening in our children's world. And then we're wondering, why are they not talking to me? Yeah, because they have no interest in what interests them. So what are they going to talk to you about? How are you going to solve it? Find out what interests them. Start talking to them about those things. Engage with them in their world. In honor, prefer one another. Look out not only for your interests, but also for the interests of others. In this case, family members. Number two, action point. Give the gift of time. Give the gift of time. You know, this recent weeks we had this I don't know where this, I, I know where it came from, but we had, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but we had this whole conversation going on of you've got to work 72 hours a week, Indian young people. <laughs> you've got to take over the world, 72 hours a week. That means you're working six days, you have to work 12 hours every day. I mean, 70 hours a week. So you're working from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. or 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., what time do you have for your family? What about your children? What about your family? What are you saying? And, and then, so husbands or both parents sometimes, they're working 70 hours a week. So I give money. But a child wants you. Money is good. But the child wants you. That means you have to give the gift of time. Money can never replace you. Money can never replace the gift of time. In some ways we understand that money represents time. We understand that. But it doesn't give you to your child. So, but I'm paying the fees. I'm you know, buying you the toys. I'm taking you to the... You know, to, getting you all the snacks you want. Okay, that's good. But the child, the, your, your son, your daughter wants you. But you can't give that because it's too busy working. 
give the gift of time to your children and other people in your family who matter to you. Give them the gift of time. I know we are all busy. I know we've got so many demands on our time, but that's when you're saying, you are more valuable to me than other things. I'm giving you the gift of time. But sadly, in so many Christian homes, so many homes, parents don't have time for their children. No time. When was the last time you spent time just talking to your children? Just listening to them. Talking to them. Engaging them. Give the gift of time. You're giving your life. Number three, give the gift of attention. Attention means you're listening and understanding. You're listening and you're understanding. You're engaging in that conversation. The gift of attention. Usually it's like one hand phone. Another hand, laptop, I'm spending time with my son. Excuse me. There's almost zero attention to your son. Because half your mind is on your phone, other half is on the laptop. What less, what's left for your son or daughter? There's no attention. So I'm spending time. You're not spending time. Don't fool yourself. When you're spending time, put your phone away, put your laptop away, spirit, soul, and body be there. Pay attention. Give the gift of attention. That means you are listening, not just listening. Sometimes we listen. It comes in here, goes out there. You listen and understand. What are they saying? What are they feeling? Where is it coming from? Why are they saying it? Understand. You don't have time to do that. You're not paying attention. So, give the gift of attention. Listening. What are you saying? Why are you feeling? Why do you feel that way? Give the gift of attention to your family members. And I'm, I'm just, most of these I'm saying in the context of parents and children, but it applies to all of our relationships. Two more. Give the gift of involvement. That means engage with them. Be involved in their life to whatever extent you can. Whatever space you can. Engage with them. Be involved. I'm not saying control their lives. No. I'm not saying dictate things. No. Co-create with them. Or collaborate with them. Work with them. Engage. Be involved in their life. Example, if your daughter is applying to college, and just be involved in that process. No, you go get your admission. You do what you want. I will pay the fees. You come and give me the bill. It's a good thing. You must pay the bill. But be involved. Journey with them in the process. You say, but I don't know what's there. You learn. Spend some time. Find out. What are the courses available? What can they do? What's your daughter good at? What is she interested? Engage with the process. I will send you to somebody. They'll help you. That's good. Well, why can't you be involved? Whom does your daughter want more than 
that person? You. Some of you are wishing, I, didn't, I wish I didn't come for this service. <laughs> You're trapped. <laughs> no, just joking. But these are real things. Be engaged. Be involved. Learn. Learn. And it depends. It all varies from, you know, every situation. But learn so that you can engage meaningfully. And over the last one year, I spent a lot of time learning about cloud computing and artificial intelligence and so on. And then together with my son, we built a product. Now, he did it. He did like more than 98% of the work. I was like the manager. Give the advice. You know? And it's so amazing. I was just thinking, hey, if I had to build this product 10 years ago, we'd have a team of three, five people and all this process and all that. Here I am working with a 26-year-old. He is amazing. I just say it and he builds. I'm like, wow. People pay huge money for this talent. And I said, how many parents, how many fathers will have this privilege of building a product with their son? But I did my homework. And I'm continuing to do it. So I keep myself on top of technology. Why? I need to have conversation. I need to engage. It enables me to be involved with what he's doing. I can talk his language. We can understand. We can solve problems together. We can think of ideas together. We can do things together. But it comes at a price. I have to know what's happening. I have to be current. And I'm saying that because I am practicing these things. I'm not just giving you a Sunday morning sermon. I'm practicing these things. Why do I do it? Why do I stay on top of technology? Because I can have a conversation with my son or with my daughter and, and talk to them in their terms. I know that what they're talking about. Engage with them. Cheer them on. I'm not saying all of you have to do this, but you do what you need to do in your context, in your family, in your life situation. You do it. Are you understanding? But that's what you need to do to be involved in their lives. Then you can co-create or collaborate. Do things. The last one is encouragement. Be an encourager. Last action point. Give the gift of encouragement. You know, we all make mistakes. We'll all have experienced failures. We'll all go through some challenges in life hardships and those things, everybody faces them. There's got to be one place where we can go, where we know we will not be condemned, we will not be judged, but we'll be loved and supported. It's the family. That we can go there and know that, hey, I'm going through a tough time, but when I go to this place, I know I will not be judged, I will not be condemned, but I will be supported, encouraged. So give the gift of encouragement. And that should happen in the home. Because the world is harsh. Bad things happen. Difficulties happen. Challenges happen. And in the workplace, they are monitoring your performance. They will see whether you, you know, your key performance indicators. Are you keeping it or not? They'll do, they don't care who you are. They'll tell you as it is. But you need to go to a place 
where you know you're loved and valued and you will be encouraged, you'll be supported. And that's the home. So give the gift of encouragement, maybe to your own spouse, maybe to your children, or children to your parents. It works always in, in all directions. Give the gift of encouragement. Let them know that you stand with them. You believe in the best that is in them. You believe that they can still do it, that God will work in their lives. Worship team, please come. So, five action points. Let's review, please. Four biblical principles to practice in nurturing healthy relationships at home. Let's, let's review this together, please. Number one, show unconditional yet tough love. Number two, demonstrate honor. Number three, extend forgiveness. Number four, be redemptive. Five action points. Number one, what matters to them must matter to you. Give the gift of time. Give the gift of attention. Give the gift of involvement. Give the gift of encouragement. Amen? This is one time I'm going to ask you to please take out your phone. If you have a pen and paper, it's good, but most of us these days to do our note-taking on the phone. So if you have a pen and paper, keep a pen and paper. But if you don't have a pen and paper, take out your phone. And I want you to think about what can you do? What action points can you do that you are thinking about that did come to you? That you can do in the relationships that matter to you? What are the action points? that you will do to nurture your relationships. Maybe as a parent to your children, as, a ch as children to your parents or others. The next five minutes, I just want you to write down on your phone, your pen and paper, whatever. Two, three, whatever comes to your mind. What are things you're going to do to nurture your relationship? Would you like to do that? Yes or no? Okay. So the worship teams are going to play very softly on their instruments. And this is your time. We heard the message. What, so the, what is it that comes to your mind? What is the Holy Spirit telling you? What can you do to nurture healthy relationships in your family, in your home, or if you're not there right now, in the lives of those who matter to you, what can you do? So take a few minutes, please. You can write it down on your phone, WhatsApp it to yourself, or in your note app, or on a pen and paper. Whatever works for you is fine. Or you just want to think about it in your mind, that's fine. What will you do? Take some time. 
Let's rise to our feet, please. Father, we just stand before you 
And we thank you for your promises for our homes, for our families, for our children. Father, you have said in your word that my people will live in peaceful homes, in secure dwellings, in quiet resting places. You have said in your word that the voice of rejoicing and salvation will be in the tents in the house of the righteous. That the house of the righteous is blessed. The house of the righteous stands. That the house of the righteous flourishes. You have said, O oh God, in your word. And Father, we want each of our homes, our families, to thrive, to flourish, to be strong. To be a little bit of heaven on earth. To experience your righteousness, peace, and joy in our homes, in our families. So Lord, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God, bring about change. Bring about transformation. Bring about healing. Bring about, Lord, the work that needs to be done in our homes, in our family, our relationships. Let there be change. Let our homes be filled with your presence, your love. Let, it, let our homes be places of great encouragement. Let our homes be places where the movers and the shakers of generations to come will be nurtured and released and sent forth, O oh God your kingdom we stand against every wild wicked scheme of the enemy attempting to disrupt our homes our families attempting to destroy and steal and kill and we say devil you have no place in our homes and our families our God is a wall of fire Round about every home, round about every family. The angel of the Lord encamps around us and delivers us. We declare no evil shall befall us, no plague will come near our dwellings. We declare the house of the righteous will stand, and each of these homes will stand firm. May the Lord increase you more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Lord, may this be our portion. And when people look at us and look at our children, let them say, this is the generation whom the Lord has blessed. And their children with them. Let them see and say that the beauty of the Lord our God is upon us. Let the glory of the Lord upon our children. May this be true, O oh God, for each of our homes, each of our families. Do a mighty work in each of our lives, we pray. Heal, O oh God, those who may be going through difficulties. Heal the broken in heart. 
strengthen and comfort those who might be going through some challenging times right now. Strengthen them. Encourage them. of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each of us always. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We trust this message was a blessing to you. For more free resources, including sermons, sermon notes, and books, please visit apcwo.org. For information on APC Bible College in Bangalore, visit apcbiblecollege.org. Do remember to download the All People's Church Bangalore app from the Apple or Google Play Store.